welcome to the Champs App Podcast, where we help players and parents demystify the world of minor hockey development and recruiting for both girls and boys. On today's episode, I talk with Kelly Nash, head coach of the Long Island University Women's Hockey Program. We discuss her growing up playing roller hockey in California and transitioning into ice hockey at a later age. She also talks about scoring the overtime winning goal for Wisconsin in the WCHA championship game. Kelly then goes into detail about the Sharks program, including her thoughts and advice about the upcoming summer recruiting season. Before we get to today's amazing episode, I wanted to talk to you about the app part of Champs app. Did you know that there are over 30 NCAA coaches with Champs app profiles that you can connect with directly? These include coaches from every D1 conference. Champs app lets you create a free, beautiful online hockey resume to share with coaches, teams, and players. Your profile includes all the information coaches want to know to help decide if you are a player they want to keep on their recruiting radar. When you connect with coaches, they will receive automatic updates when you change your profile, add game or video, or alert them to upcoming games on your schedule. Just go to champs.app and click the sign up button to start your profile. You can check out the full list of the NCAA coaches using Champs app by clicking on the links in the show notes. I'm very excited to have on the Champs App podcast, Kelly Nash, who is the head coach with the Long Island University Sharks Women's Hockey Program. Originally from Benita, California, just outside San Diego, Kelly played college hockey at Wisconsin, winning two national titles. She then went on to play professional hockey in Europe before returning to the U.S. to coach at Vermont and Princeton. And while at Princeton, Kelly returned to the ice as a player with the Metropolitan Riveters for three seasons. Before taking the job at LIU, she coached girls hockey in New Jersey and then went behind the bench as an associate coach with the Riveters. Last June, she was named the second women's head coach at Long Island University. And in her first year, the Sharks won the Newhawk Conference and made their first appearance in the NCAA tournament. Welcome to the podcast, Kelly. Awesome. Thanks for having me, Ray. So why don't we start out like we do all of our guests, um, talking a little bit about your hockey history and how you started playing hockey in California, and particularly, I believe you started playing roller hockey and didn't uh, really play ice hockey until about 12 years old. Yes, yes. Wow, you're really good with all the facts so far. Um, but yes, born and raised Benita, California, um, lived there up until I was 18 and went off to uh, school and played at the University of Wisconsin. But you are definitely right in that I started on rollerblades. Um, you know, my brother and I had been trying different sports, I feel like, at a young age. And I kind of kept following what sports he was trying out. And he took up roller hockey. So I decided to take on roller hockey. And we both fell in love with it um, and played, you know, throughout middle school, high school. Um and that actually is how, you know, segued into playing ice hockey was I was playing uh, boys roller hockey for the most part. And all the boys I was playing with played on the same ice hockey team. And so, you know, I kind of transitioned over to ice and played a season with them before hearing about a, uh, I want to say local girls ice hockey program, even though it was in Huntington Beach, California, which is a little ways away from about from an hour Benita, and a half away, but... if I remember correctly, about an hour and a half to <laughs> yeah. two hours. Yeah, actually, you're yeah. in the southern part of San Diego, so it's actually even further with traffic. Yeah, so it's probably two and a half hours. Yeah, very, very. Yeah, I mean, it could really range from an hour and a half to you know two and a half or so. Um, I'm very south. I'm about ten minutes from the border of of Tijuana, so very south. Gotcha. So uh, a couple of questions related to this. So first of all, just how did you become so good at hockey? Um, considering you didn't, you didn't 
start getting on the actual ice until 12. Like, what was it that made you so skilled? I'm assuming, you know, you're a really good skater and, you know, for rollerblader and, and that you were really good hands and, and shooting. <laughs> but how did you get to that level of, of, you know, efficiency in your game? Yeah, well, thank you for the compliments. Um, you know, roller hockey, I feel like really developed my skill set. Um, I would say, you know, my stick skills, stick handling, passing, shooting um, were kind of strengths of mine. I think, you know, the, I would say, you know, the, the weakness of mine was the skating piece of it, which obviously still ended up being um, fine enough. But I think the transition from being on rollerblades since the age of seven and not getting on the ice until the age of 12 um, was something I really had to focus on, uh, not just before college, but even at college, paid a lot of attention to it and focused there. Um, but, you know, I had some really great coaches uh, in when I first started out playing roller hockey that I think really helped me to understand the game itself. And so I normally talk a lot about my ice hockey career and playing for the Cal Selects and Wisconsin and this and that, but definitely roller hockey and some of the coaches I had really made, I think, that first initial impact on me. Gotcha. And so for other players who, um, you know, may or may not have started just on, on inline skating, but need to work on their ice skating. You know, what were the areas that you needed to work on and what recommendations do you have for players like that who feel like skating is their, is their, their key development area? Yeah, I, I got a skating coach actually when I was probably 13 or 14. Um, and she was actually a figure skating coach and I just really needed to focus on my stride and set aside specific ice time just for focusing on my skating um, technique and everything. And so I think it's probably, I mean, it's different for everybody what you need to focus on. I think for me, um, having played roller hockey and I think a lot more little strides um, and then transitioning to ice, I think I really needed to figure out how to lengthen it and get more power out of my stride. And so um, I worked with a specific skating coach uh, for a couple of years prior to going uh, to college where I still focused on it um, a lot pre and post season every year. Gotcha. Gotcha. So uh, it was an ongoing kind of effort. Um, <laughs> all right. So right b before we get into how you got recruited to Wisconsin and, and kind of the, that, that process of uh, the college recruiting process, um, are you familiar with Jason Robertson of the Dallas Stars? Yes. Definitely. So he's one of the uh, best uh, <laughs> natural goal scorers in the league. He's also from Southern California. And you also have something else in common. You want to talk about that for a moment? <laughs> yes, we're both of uh, Filipino heritage. Great. And um, maybe just talk about how kind of your, your background has helped you in, in your career and, and kind of getting you through your hockey development and, and off to college. Um, yeah, I mean, first of all, it's so great to have somebody like him um, at, at such a high level and everything. And honestly, such a fun player to watch in general. Um, would love to go see him uh, for myself live one day and wouldn't, wouldn't mind actually going to Dallas to watch a game. So that's on the bucket list. Yeah. Um, you know, I actually did an interview uh, with NHL.com recently. Uh, article came out last month. Um, and it was kind of one of the first, I mean, this last year is kind of the first time that, you know, I've even been asked about uh, my Filipino background and um, just questions relative to that and, you know, being interviewed um, and everything. And so it's been kind of new for me, I guess, to answer questions like this or, or talk much about it. And I think I'm just kind of starting off you know, this last year, just 
being more comfortable talking about it, um, which is a really great feeling. That's awesome. I know, uh, you know, the NHL celebrating, you know, the uh, Asian Pacific uh, Islanders uh, month and things like that. So um, just wanted to kind of introduce that to some of the folks who may not be familiar with your background or, uh, um, you know, even Jason Robertson, for that matter. Um, yeah, so no, thank you. One of the uh, things that actually uh, that is different between you and Jason Robertson, at least from what I can tell from your, your elite prospects profile, is Jason had to leave California and move to Michigan and played on a couple of Detroit teams in order to kind of get to the next level. Uh, talk about your um, transition from your roller hockey to end up at Wisconsin and where you played hockey, your youth girls hockey, before you got to Wisconsin. Uh, because it is relatively speaking um, unusual for someone just to play in California and make it to like Wisconsin. Yeah, definitely. Um, so I played for California Selects starting at the age of 13. Um, and I played there throughout my high school career up until going to college. And it was such a fantastic program for developing its players and its teams. Um, part of, you know, a national championship winning teams there um, during the time uh, playing there. and And actually, you know, I, it was great for me to get recruited from there and go play at Wisconsin. Another one of my teammates actually did as well. But truthfully, the majority of the players that came from that program played Division One or Division Three, And so, you know, it wasn't just like a small number of, you know, one, two or three of us from the entire program. There was a lot of success that uh, that came out of uh, players playing for the Cal Selects and going out and playing in college. You know, several, you know, a couple went to Northeastern, Duluth, Manhattanville. Um, so there's there's been a lot of different different examples, which was really great for the program. Gotcha. And so let's talk specifically about you and the Upper Wisconsin. Talk about uh, getting recruited by that fabulous staff, um, <laughs> you know, between Dan Cook and, uh, and obviously Mark Johnson. Um, you know, uh, just, just talk about that process of, of getting recruited. Yeah, no, you know, I was just telling this story the other day, but Dan Cook is kind of somebody I feel like outside of my family that I've probably known the longest in my life. Um, he came out, it was him and a couple other schools that came out and ran some camps through our Cal Selects program um, since I was 13 years old. And so I've known him since then. And, you know, obviously really liked him since I had first met him. And then when, you know, it actually became time to be recruited, it was kind of once I stepped foot on campus at Wisconsin, having already known Dan very well and obviously knew Mark Johnson's resume and was just such a big fan of him anyway. Um, once I stepped foot on campus, it was kind of a, a no-brainer that I wanted to go there um, if I had the opportunity to. And so once I was offered um, the spot there, um, when it was allowed to when I could accept an offer, it was kind of, it was just, it was an easy one for me. Beautiful. And, and you played with some pretty good players there. Um, you know, Hillary Knight's still playing. A um, <laughs> couple of previous guests on on the podcast, Janelle Sergey and uh, Carl Pentamone were teammates. And obviously, yes, Brianna yes. Decker. So, and, and two times, yeah, as I mentioned earlier, two-time national champ. But I do want to focus just on one specific game, uh, 2011. <laughs> You know which one I'm going to go with. Wow, uh, you've done your research. You uh, you played Minnesota. You were down two goals going into the third period. Somehow you guys came back, pushed it to overtime. Maybe you just want to talk about uh, how you scored that overtime goal in the WCHA championship in 2011. Yeah, I mean, that entire um, the game tournament 
the end of that season is is very very special to me and I'm, I'm sure very special to most of my teammates as well um and I I do remember sitting there so clearly in the locker room between the second and third period obviously being down to such a great team like like the Gophers in the championship game and being down by that many goals and, you know, sitting next to Brianna Decker in the locker room because we sat next together on road trips that season. And it was just like, I don't know. I don't know how we're going to pull this one off here. And um, obviously we ended up doing it and then going into overtime. Um, I, you know, just, I, I remember the play so clearly and, you know, Gina Pro passing it right to my, my stick tape to tape. Um, just kind of collected it and shoot it, shot it on that. Obviously it went in and, you know, people always talk about the celebration and just kind of standing there with my hands up and which is so special to me. And I always tell people, you know, I was just, I'm just in shock. <laughs> that, that, that actually, it's funny that you mentioned the celebration. Cause I was going to ask you, um, how high did you throw your stick in the air <laughs> after the puck went in? I mean, it, there's a really cool picture actually with like, you could see my two gloves and my stick like so high up in the air and I just stood there and the whole team came in. It was, it was such an incredible feeling that I just, it obviously was quite a bit of time ago in 2011, but I really do remember it just like yesterday. Beautiful, beautiful. Okay, well, I, I've got to take you away from all this uh, down memory <laughs> lane uh, and move you a little bit forward. Um, how and why did you end up playing in Europe after you graduated from Wisconsin? Um, actually, so Jackie Friesen, now Jackie Crum, um, was our assistant coach my senior year at Wisconsin. And she had a connection with a couple of players that played for a team in Belarus, or they were going to play for a team in Belarus. They were Slovakian. And Jackie had played with them um, when she went overseas. And so there was a connection there. And I was definitely still interested in playing hockey and traveling and, you know, going to play in Europe is such a great opportunity to do both those things. And so she connected me and she advised me just like I advised my players, like, this is definitely the time to do it when you finish college and you're younger or before you get into, you know, the real working world and everything. It's a great opportunity if it's there. And so I was finishing off a fifth year at Wisconsin. I took an extra semester and I had played for a team, you know, I had talked to a team out in Minsk, Belarus, and they flew me out a couple of different times, once to Belarus for a week, and then once to um, Austria for about a week to play a few different games there as well. Um, so, and it was such a great opportunity playing with them. And then I actually met a couple of people on the Vienna Sabres team, uh, Kira Dalsdal and Janine Weber, who are two of my really great friends to this day still um, and, you know, made a connection with them. And I really liked Vienna, Austria a lot um, at the coaches out there and everything. And so that's kind of how I, I got connected with actually moving out there to play. Gotcha. Gotcha. And, and, and what was it like playing, uh, you know, in Minsk and Vienna? Uh, obviously, Vienna is a beautiful city. Um, what was it like playing in Europe? It was awesome experience. Honestly, like I, you know, we have one player who just graduated from LIU, Stella Scott, who's going to play in Spain this year. We have a, another player that's looking into maybe playing in, in Germany or Sweden. And I'm just like, like, I'm, I'm like jealous in the sense that like, it's, it's just going to be so much fun. And I'm sure the hockey's gotten better and better as well. So it's going to be competitive. And it's just a great opportunity to kind of like live in another area, learn different cultures, travel. Um, while still playing the sport you love. And so I, I, I love 
Europe and Vienna, Austria was incredible, um, as I'm sure you can imagine if you haven't been there. And going to Minsk for a week um, back in, it was 2012, I guess I would have went, maybe, yeah, 2012, I think, um, was just a really cool experience. And the manager and the team and the players on there were so friendly and treated me so well. And it, it was such a, a, it was a really great experience all around. Beautiful, beautiful. All right, so I, I am going to go down the uh, Champs podcast previous guest train um, because, uh, <laughs> you know, you mentioned Jackie Crum, who was a previous guest, and then you ended up returning to uh, the U.S. for a coaching gig with Jim Plumer, also a previous yes. guest. So maybe talk about why you uh, decided to come back to the U.S. And, and be a coach. Yeah, you know, I actually came back to the U.S. I moved to Boston to live with two of my best friends and former teammates at Wisconsin, uh, Erica Lawler and Megan Duggan, who are from Massachusetts. And so, you know, I was like, they had a room available. I thought that could be fun. I want to play one more year. And at the time it was CWHL, um, Boston Blades, if I remember correctly. Um, and so I wanted to play one more season while kickstarting my coaching career and was looking into some prep school job opportunities at the time. And then I had heard, um, coincidentally, it was Gina, uh, Gina Pro, the one that passed me the puck in the overtime game, um, who had heard about UVM having an opening. Um, and then Dan Cook reached out that there was an opening at UVM also, and truthfully, I didn't really know anything about the state of Vermont, you know, being from California, going to school in Wisconsin, having just moved to the East Coast, I just was not very familiar. Uh, but the head coach, Jim Plumer, happened to be in town in Boston. And so we grabbed a cup of coffee. And in the back of my mind, I was like, you know, I don't think I'm ready to make this, this move, even if I was lucky enough to get this opportunity. I don't know if it's for me. I don't know the state of Vermont. I don't know this guy. Um... <laughs> And then before I knew it, three weeks later, I was like looking for a place to live in Burlington, Vermont. <laughs> I was there for four years. Yeah, it's a beautiful place to live, that's for sure. Uh, oh, I love, I love Burlington. I mean, I love Vermont in general, honestly. It's such a great state. It's beautiful. That's awesome. Okay, and uh, we got to keep moving down your coaching path. So once again, you went to go uh, go to Princeton, previous guest, Kara Mori, um, on the podcast. Uh, so talk about then moving from Vermont to Princeton, um, and then uh, uh, we'll eventually get you to LIU. So go ahead. Yeah, you know, I always say that how grateful I am for the places that coach, coaching has taken me and, and living in places like Burlington, Vermont, and then Princeton, New Jersey, another beautiful um, little town. Um, but yeah, I, I was looking, um, for a change during that time, uh, after Vermont and I had talked to Kara, um, and I think she was going into her first year as head coach of the program. And then Ashley Kilstein was the assistant coach there, um, both who I knew pretty well. Um, and it was very appealing, uh, to me, obviously, obviously Princeton in general is an appealing university to be at, um let alone, you know, um, the success they've had as a, had had as a hockey team at that time. And, you know, really, um, creating it into kind of an NCAA tournament, um, program. And I felt strongly that, that that was going to continue in that direction. Um, and, you know, I was excited about being on a full female coaching staff as well, and hadn't really experienced that 
before having, you know, worked for uh, Jim, male head coach, obviously been coached by um, Mark Johnson. And so I was kind of, I was really excited for that change. And so it really kind of drew me over um, to, to making that change to Princeton. And, and the way I understand it, Kara said, hey, if you want to play pro hockey while you're coaching, whatever you want to do in your free time, that's up to you. And so you, uh, you, you, you laced up the skates again for the, uh, the, the Riveters. Is that correct? <laughs> yeah, I did. And that was not my intention. You know, when I took the Princeton job, I moved to Princeton and was coaching and it was already, you know, the fall and um, a few of my friends who were living like Brooklyn, Manhattan, they were all playing and, you know, it was not necessarily appealing to me or I had thought that it wasn't appealing to me to be playing at the same time as coaching. Um, but then they're like, well, well, just come out for a skate or a practice. And I was like, okay, you know, I love to play hockey for a great workout still. Um, and they kind of drew me in. And at that time, you know, I guess fortunately and unfortunately, um, it was really flexible still. Obviously, so many people had full-time jobs. The pay wasn't where it is today, which has made incredible strides. And so, you know, they were able to fully understand that my coaching had to be my number one priority. And so it's really hard to balance two hockey seasons at the same time. And so it was always a priority for me, my, you know, division one coaching job and then um, playing. And so what happened was I actually was uh, making a lot of practices and unavailable for games. <laughs> okay. And, uh, but, you know, the Riveters were very flexible for, for the seasons that I, I was doing both. And it was a, it was a great experience. And once I got, took me a little while to get my legs back, I will say after not having played for that many years. Um, but it was, it was such a great experience and met so many of my friends here today still, you know, I obviously still live in, in New York. And so. Um, I met a lot of, of close friends that are still my my friends today and still still try to go out and play hockey. Um, you know, I'll, I'll talk about Brooklyn Bladers later on in the podcast. <laughs> Perfect. All right. So um, right before we, we get to Long Island, I got one last question. We had Reagan Carey, who's the commissioner of the PHF net on the podcast in our last episode. I was just wondering, now that you see uh, the the salary cap has gone up tremendously since you played, I was wondering what your impressions are with uh, with how things are. And maybe you left too early uh, to, yeah. uh, <laughs> no, no, no. To, to become a coach. I don't think I left too early. I always say like, and I love playing hockey still to this day, but for fun, for a great workout. And I just have the passion for coaching that I had when I was a player for playing. And so there's no, like, oh, I wish I was still, um, it's so great. It's incredible to see. And, you know, we, you know, keep seeing these different signings and the salaries that they're making. And it's just, it's really really cool honestly that some of these players are graduating college and going into just continuing to play hockey and making a, a livable salary and you know I'm sure there's a lot of other things that Reagan Carey and the rest of her staff have in the works to, to continue building the 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 PHF um, and it sounds like you know they've and they've obviously done such a great job and they all came to speak at uh our coaches convention at the end of April and gave a really great presentation and, and information around the PHF. So uh, a lot of hype and rightfully so, it sounds like. 
Yes, yes. And for folks who haven't listened to it, please listen to that episode as the opportunity for, yeah. you know, youth players today in a few, several years when you graduate, uh, you know, she talks about what it takes to get there. So, um, all right. So let's let's move on to Long Island University. So on a previous episode, we had your predecessor on and uh, he talked about kind of the history of the program. So we're not going to go into that, but let's just get into how you ended up being the coach at LIU uh, after being an assistant coach back with the Riveters. Yeah, you know, um, and one of the things that I was actually doing in between NCAA coaching gigs was I was working for a company called League Apps, which is a tech company based out of Manhattan um, that has a software that manages youth sports registrations. Um, so a lot of like club hockey programs, I mean, all sports in general. Um, and by the end of it, I was um, working on a team that was managing a, a, the partnership with the NHL that, that League Apps has. And so it was such a great um, space for me to be in. I was learning so much about kind of like the tech industry um, and kind of like learning new things and new skills while at the same time kind of in a, a familiar territory of, of hockey. Um, and so that was actually my full-time job for, for three years before getting back into hockey uh, full-time. But once I what became the associate head coach at Riveters, you know, kind of just like revisited how passionate I was about coaching and that I eventually wanted to get back into it full time, but I wasn't necessarily in a rush because I really loved my current job. And so I actually just kind of was, you know, searching online here and there, checking out things, the NCAA job board. Um, and I just happened to see that the LIU head coach position was open. Um, nobody really, you know, I didn't hear from anybody. I didn't have any like inside scoop when things were happening or um, I just happened to see it. And then I applied for it. <laughs> wow. I, I was truthfully on vacation. Um, you know, I had taken a few days off and was out of the country um and so I actually had some free time um I was just kind of like you know on social media and I ended up applying for it and emailed the athletic director and then you know it was like two weeks later that I was hired <laughs> or offered the wow. job and then hired <laughs> wow that's awesome <laughs> well, kudos to them for their quick decision making um yeah. I know it was uh it was a little bit late so to speak because um right. I believe it was the end of June of last year that the announcement was made so right, um, right. maybe just talk about like just getting up to speed because, um, you know, you're, you're past the June 15th deadline. So maybe just talk about uh, the team that you inherited and then kind of um, what, you, what your focus was for the first year. And then I'll ask you some other kind of more technical questions. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there was a lot for me to get up to speed on, although I had six years of assistant coach um, experience in the NCAA, having taken three years off in between, um, there was a lot uh, three years off of coaching the NCAA, there was a lot to get caught up on, um, definitely recruiting wise and just, you know, kind of the ins and outs and functionality of an entire um, division one collegiate program. Um, my two first priorities, one was contacting every um, player on the roster, um, setting up phone calls with all of them, um, just, you know, introducing myself, getting in touch with them. Um, and making sure they wanted to, you know, return to the team because there was no staff in place for a few months. And so I wasn't really sure where all that stood. Um, and then secondly was hiring uh, an assistant coach. Um, I knew I obviously wouldn't be able to, to do this job alone. And I really, really wanted somebody that, you know, was going to 
was going to grind it out with me um, that I could trust and that not only I respected, but that the team was going to respect also. And so it was such an easy decision when, you know, I offered Nora McLean the job and I had coached her with the Riveters the year before and seeing how she was as a player and, you know, just always, always, always team first mentality while also giving her best to be the best player she could be. Um, I knew it was easily going to translate um, into being a great coach, um, which was very clear having coached with her this last year. Yeah, and you also have Sonia Shelley as your other assistant coach, and maybe you want to just talk about her as well? Yeah, so that happened a little bit later. Um, again, another player that I coached at the Riveters, um, so great connection there. Um, and Sonia brings such great knowledge as a, as a goaltender and such a great goaltender herself. Um, and, you know, it ended up working out. It would take a little bit to figure out the logistics and, you know, if she was going to be close enough to Long Island to be able to make the commutes and make it work and obviously ended up working out. And so I was so thankful to have Nora and Sonia who were so, so invested in the team and the success and every individual player's success and, you know, both of them went above and beyond what I would have thought for their first years as coaches in the NCAA. And, you know, I always, you know, say this to the team and every and everywhere else, but like, so much credit um, goes to them for the success that we had this last season. Yeah, so let's just talk about that. So um, for folks who don't know, the, the program only started in 2019. So this was just the fourth season. It wasn't even the fourth full season because COVID came into play for uh, for the, the, the second season. Um, and I'm wondering uh, how you just manage the roster. So I believe you had 30 players on the roster. Um, part of the, the learning curve of, of starting a new program is that you had a lot of players start the first year, and yet they stuck around still all the way till the fourth and fifth year. And so, but with still more incoming players almost every year. So how, how did you manage such a large roster? I guess the good part about that is, uh, from a coach's perspective, is you're, you're picking the best players that you have of the 30 for every game, but it's a big management issue of trying to please everybody with ice time and getting in games. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely challenging and I won't, you know, I'm not going to sit here and say that it, it was easy or anything, but I think, you know, we said this at the beginning, but communication was going to be key for us, um, not just at the beginning, but throughout the course of the season. And so um, we had a lot of individual meetings. We, we would have meetings with players um, before, you know, lineup decisions and announcements were made. And it wasn't just in September, October, but we continued that through um, January, February, March. And <clears throat> although some players played less than others, um, and of course, you know, the players that played less, of course, would want to play more. Um, they were very appreciative of the communication um, and respectful of the decisions that were made. And at the beginning of the season, you know, we had communicated because Nora and I and Sonia, you know, we hadn't seen any of the players play before or the team. And so we wanted to make sure that we gave everybody not only um, opportunities in practice, obviously, you know, we're all practicing together on a daily basis, that we wanted to make sure everybody had opportunities um, in games as well. Again, because, you know, we, you know, we could see statistics from years before um, and things like that, but we wanted to make sure that people had um, opportunities and games and well, as well, but um, definitely, it's definitely a challenging piece that I know, you know, whether you have 30, you know, whether you have nine healthy scratches or one healthy scratch, it's always a, it's always a difficult um, part of the job. 
Gotcha, gotcha. I'm going to shift gears just a little bit. Uh, I'm sure you're familiar with Sacred Heart University and their new facilities um, and their, their beautiful new rink. And, and I, I have been to uh, the Northwell Health Ice Center um, and visited it. I'm just wondering if, if there are any plans for like a new facility, just like Sacred Heart for uh, Long Island University. I wouldn't lie to you, Ray. I actually don't know. <laughs> I was waiting, you know, for a little bit, uh, maybe another year or two under my belt before I started asking those questions. Um, but there has been some ideas tossed out. There's a lot of space. I don't know if you've been to LIU Post, but there's a lot of space to work with there. Um, and so there's been some ideas tossed out. Um, but I do think, you know, we're, we're going to be at Northwell for quite some time. Um, we just had our locker room um, built there. So it's, it's definitely our home base and our offices are being built there. The men's locker room is being built there this summer. And so we definitely plan to be there for a little bit. Okay, gotcha, I gotcha. So no, no plans have been approved and uh, you haven't started digging in a new facility. Okay, I gotcha. All right. So, um, you know, I mentioned earlier that, you know, you guys made it to the, uh, uh, actually, I'm not sure I mentioned it, but we're going to talk about winning the New Hot Championship in your first year. Um, so I, I'm wondering, you had a tough out-of-conference schedule. You played uh, Minnesota Duluth, Northeastern, uh, Mankato, Penn State. I mean, like those are some pretty tough teams to be playing, all top 10 teams. Uh, I'm just wondering, um, you know, if, uh, uh, if you we were involved in that schedule making and how that helped you for later on when uh, the playoffs came around. Yeah, no, I was not involved in that schedule making. It normally gets planned out at least a year or two in advance. And so um, the schedule is set already. But I will say to your point, like I definitely think it helped us in the long run. I think maybe kind of balancing it out a little bit um, more moving forward. You know, I think opening up back-to-back -back weekends against Duluth and Northeastern, two top five teams, is challenging for anybody. And we're doing that again this season, by the way. Um, because normally when you schedule out-of-conference games, you kind of go back-to-back -back seasons. And so we'll host Northeastern this year, and we'll go to Duluth um, this season as well. Um, you know, not to mention also we played Maine last season, who had a great, great year um, under uh, a new head coach, Molly Engstrom. And so we, we had some really, really good competition out-of-conference. Um, some games went better than others for us, but... I think in the long run, I think it helped us uh, to be more prepared the second half of the season. And although we lost both games to Penn State, um, that was kind of a turning point for us, I feel like, in kind of understanding, um, you know, what we really had um, as a team and what kind of push we could make for the rest of the season. And some of the time, you know, we've played really um, great teams and maybe put up one really good game and then it's really hard to play top teams like that back-to-back -back games and so we felt like putting two games together like that against Penn State um, you know was was still rewarding in certain ways even though um, it didn't necessarily show up as a win on the scoreboard for us. Gotcha, gotcha. Um, and I something that we didn't talk about was skill development as from a coaching perspective. Um, I know that's really important to you. Talk about developing your players while while they're at LIU. Yeah, you know, I got the opportunity to focus a lot on player development as an assistant coach at both UVM and Princeton, and so I wanted to carry that over um, to LIU, especially with with being a newer program um, and kind of really being able to to initiate that here and Nora. Um, who is is a very skilled player. Um, we were both able to kind of contribute to that. And 
Also, what hasn't been mentioned is that we did hire an, an additional assistant coach this coming season that was just announced last week, um, Shelly Picard, who was just recently at Princeton, Harvard alum, played Riveters, um, also played on the 2014 um, national team for Team USA uh, in the Olympics. Um, and so I think skill development is going to continue to really be an emphasis for us here and, you know, how we do it, which I think a lot of other schools do it as well now, um, is really setting aside some additional ice time to just focus on specific kills, uh, skills um, for each player, because everybody always has something different that they really need to focus on. And, you know, it really hit me, actually, it was in college when I was playing probably like my freshman year or something. And, you know, after practice, I would do little things like stick handling drills. And I think it was when one of my assistants was like, you're already so good at stick handling. Maybe you should use the extra ice time to focus on things, you know, some of your weaknesses like skating. And so <laughs> that's when it really hit me way back then. And so we kind of just try to like um, focus on that specific skill set that each player or small group of players needs to work on and set aside time separate than, than the actual team practices. Gotcha. And obviously that worked out well since that you guys were able to uh, win the New Hot Championship in your first year, which is awesome. And so clearly managing the team and the number of players and, I mean, because you inherited almost everything, right? So, I mean, that's pretty impressive to do in your first year. Um, but I, wa I want to move over to the NCAA tournament. What was it like to be in the tournament and then be coaching against your previous coach, Mark Johnson, and the, the your previous assistant coaches, the whole coaching staff yeah. <laughs> um, in, in the NCAA playoffs because you played Wisconsin in, in the first round? Yeah, I mean, it was definitely, a, um, I mean, that piece was, of course, uniquely special to myself. And, you know, the reason I got into coaching in the first place was because of the impact my coaches at Wisconsin had on me. And not just as a hockey player, but as a person in general. And um, once I got into the coaching world, they've they've all been such great mentors to me, even to this day. And you know, um, Jackie and Dan definitely, and actually um, Tracy um, De Kaiser was there um, as an assistant coach as well, and she retired uh, after I graduated. Actually, um, all the assistant coaches were so so impactful um to me and really making me want to be a coach in the first place and so it was really special in my first season um you know make it to the NCAA tournament and kind of stand across benches uh, from the same staff that was there when I was there um but on a level of you know our team it was again just a, a really really special experience you know we had nine players graduate this year who were all a part of the inaugural class and we still have three actually that are coming back uh, to finish up schooling this next year. But um, for them to make it to the NCAA tournament um, within four years of starting a program from scratch is is really, really such an incredible accomplishment. And you know, we always try to to emphasize that and how much they all did for for this program and how much they accomplished themselves. And so um, it, it was really just. It was just really special. I think we all understood that, you know, the couple of weeks leading up to the NCAA game, it was a really cool uh, experience for, for all of us uh, as a program. Yeah, and it was the first time that the Nuha had an automatic bid into right. into the the, the uh, conference uh, in, into the playoffs, the national playoffs. Um, and then last year was the first year for Stonehill as the seventh team. And then uh, this year we ha you have Assumption coming in in the fall. So you're 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 
your level of competition doesn't go down, it goes up uh, coming right. this year. So talk, talk about now in terms of, you know, like, hey, uh, we're, we're coming up on recruiting season. Um, you know, what's your philosophy going into next year? You mentioned nine players who um, are graduating, uh, only three returning. So kind of what, what's your perspective on, on how you're going to restock for the next couple of years and, and kind of get back to the uh, NCAA tournament? Yeah, well, and just to clarify, just three returning from the inaugural class. We obviously yeah, have a lot yeah. of other players returning. Yeah. Um, and, you know, we have eight incoming freshmen um, wow. that will be coming in this next season. So definitely a big class. Um, and I know in future years we're going to try to, you know, figure out how to how to balance that out a little bit. But I think for, you know, myself, um, and I kind of put, you know, Nora and I kind of in the same um, – bubble in that because, you know, I didn't recruit NCAA for three years before taking this position. Um, and it was Nora's first year as an NCAA coach. So I think this spring and summer, we're, we're really trying to get out um, as much as possible. Um, we're thankful, you know, we hired someone like Shelly who has that experience now um, as well, but really trying to get out there when we can, um, not just, you know, locally, um, but all over the U.S., Canada, Europe. Um, you know, if you look at our roster, we have players from all over West Coast, Canada, Sweden, Austria, only one from Long Island, actually, um, <laughs> which uh, a little surprising. But um, yeah, so we're really just trying to kind of um, get that experience and, and see as much as we can in, in this uh, last spring and summer. Gotcha, gotcha. All right, so we're related to recruiting. Uh, I'm sure you're familiar with the transfer portal um, and a lot of discussion around at least the parents of uh, players these days who are, who are um, looking about where they want to go to, to get recruited. Um, I'm wondering how uh, the kind of the strategy for certain WCHA teams to have taking the top players uh, or recruiting the top players from other schools who already have two, three, maybe even four years experience, um, what your perspective is on that and how that impacts um, like schools uh, in your conference? Yeah, um, it's new. It's different. Um, and I think what's extra unique, obviously, is, is COVID and the pandemic and how that impacted um, eligibility. And so, you know, the seniors that just graduated this year um, have an additional year of eligibility if, if they would like to use it and can find a place to use it. And same with, you know, um, the rising the rising seniors will also have an additional year. And so I think it'll be interesting to see how that plays out, um, the transfer portal in general in a couple years, um, because I think that's where you're seeing kind of a lot of these um, instances happen. Um, with that being said, I mean, it's just an interesting other uh, resource. I think, you know, when I was being recruited, it was about the four-year experience and being recruited to somewhere you saw yourself or, um, four years as a student and as an athlete and getting a degree from that university. And so I think a lot of us coaches are still really trying to to emphasize the importance of that. But, um, you know, the transfer portal, some people um, are not happy where they are or need a change or something. It, it does give the ability for players to, to continue exploring and playing um, the sport somewhere where maybe they will be, uh, you know, have a better opportunity at. So kind of goes a little both ways and there's been exactly. some interesting statistics that the NCAA presented to us at our conference uh, percentages of, you know, successful transfers. And so it, it, 
it's new and it's interesting. And so it'll be interesting to see how it plays out in the next couple of years, I think. Yeah. I have a lot more questions I could ask you on this topic because, um, <laughs> but you know, you got, you, you really had, at least your team doesn't appear to have been really impacted by it. Um, you know, you're not losing your best players uh, to, to other teams. So, uh, you know, yeah. I have a, a lot of questions on this topic too. <laughs> All right. So maybe, maybe we get a little uh, round table going with some other coaches and get some answers. Um, all right. So uh, just a couple more questions. Uh, so we're getting into uh, the summer recruiting season. Maybe just talk about uh, you and your staff, what your plans are, just generally speaking of how you think about the summer recruiting process um, and, and, you know, how you spend your time? Well, as I'm sure you know, June 15th is a big day for us, um, you know, all college coaches. Um, that's the first day that, you know, we can officially contact um, sophomores that graduated um, this year, sophomores in high school, so going into their junior year. Um, so really preparation um, for that June 15th date and trying to get out um, obviously that's only a week away. And so, you know, we've tried to recruit as much as possible in April, May was a dead period. Um, and then kind of get back up and running this last week and going into this next week and, and preparing for those phone calls. Um, and then really, um, trying to get out as much as possible, um, to, to evaluate those players, um, on the ice. And then, you know, obviously, I mean, at least for us, uh, such a big piece of recruiting is, is figuring out if they're, you know, the right, um, fit culture-wise and for the university and academically. Um, and so, um, you know, there's a lot of different pieces to, to recruiting um, and not just the, the evaluating part. Um, but right now is a, a great time to do the evaluating piece. And so that's kind of what, what we're focusing on right now. So I, I know a question that a lot of parents have, which is on June 15th, Roughly speaking, you know, how many offers are you making versus how many are you? Hey, we're really interested. We want to know if you're interested in us because we're kind of interested in you. And but we're going to keep on having a conversation over the next several months. Like how many are like, here you go. Like uh, we want you now versus, hey, we're interested. But like, you know, let's let's date a little bit. Well, Ray, I've never done it before. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, when I was an assistant coach at Vermont, it wasn't a thing. You know, there was no guidelines, and so some colleges started working in this gray area and, you know, players having conversations with, you know, ninth, 10th graders. And then when you're at an Ivy League, you know, I was at Princeton, and um, it was same, you know, same kind of rules. And so now that I'm back in it, and then NCAA rules have changed, which I think is great, um, it's kind of our first go-around here now. Um, and figuring that piece out. But I think it gives us an opportunity um, to really get to know the players with these phone calls and, you know, getting to speak with them. Um, also, you know, at an age where you can have some back and forth conversation, I think, and everything um, and try to like create these relationships. And I think, you know, again, it's, it's different for everybody, for, but for my own experience and having been recruited, I had um, such a great relationship with with Dan Cook at Wisconsin and the rest of the coaching staff. And, you know, I felt very um, comfortable and confident about, you know, my decision. And so I think, you know, trying to implement those things and kind of build those relationships with the players and the parents. And so, you know, it goes two ways. It's not just like, you know, we want the person, but like we want them to want to be at, at, uh, at our school as well. And so, um, you know, I don't want to kind of just you know, be like, oh, come to LIU. They've never, you know, seen LIU or met me or Nora or Shelly. Um, and so um, I think there's a lot of, a lot of 
different ways and scenarios you could handle this uh, June 15th date, but I think it's a great starting point to kind of try to start building those relationships with the players. Perfect. All right. So um, a lot of the uh, parents and players who listen to this podcast um, are actually not old enough to talk directly with uh, coaches on, on June 15th. Um, and so they're they're figuring out what to do this summer. What advice do you have for those parents? Because they're, they're the ones who are going to control, you know, the travel dollars of uh, going to different events. Um, what advice do you have those parents and players in terms of the summer um, recruiting showcase process uh, beyond just going to the national camps if, if uh, they, they were to make that? Right. Um, I think really just doing research and figuring out where the best resources are. You know, I I think a lot of us coaches will emphasize, you know, you don't have to do every single showcase um, that exists in the summer because there, there are so many now. And there are so many that college scouts are at and we split up and go to different ones. You know, if there's three in one weekend, I can only be at one. And so um, making sure they're choosing a place where they feel like they're actually, you know, getting some good development um, is very, very crucial. And I think that it goes hand in hand with just, you know, the, the program and team that they're playing with all season long, because again, there's always showcases there everywhere. Um, and I think the development of the player themselves is definitely um, probably one of the most important pieces. And, Again, if it is a, a player or a parent that's not of age right now, it's listening to this, uh, that's recruitable, um, they're probably at an age where they could still be playing other sports and doing other things also. And so I think emphasizing that piece of it also during, you know, their spring and summer, um, I think is really valuable. You know, I, I personally played other sports all throughout high school, and I know a lot of my former teammates, and I know a lot of uh uh, friends that, you know, still um, will play uh, other sports and everything too. Um, and so I think that's that's definitely an important piece to it all. Perfect. All right. So we got to wrap this up. Um, if folks were interested in learning more about LIU, uh, what, what's the best way to uh, learn more about the program and uh, maybe even uh, letting you know that they might be interested in uh, Long Island University and becoming a shark? Yeah, I mean, definitely just check out our women's ice hockey um, website. Lots of information on there, recruiting questionnaire, um, our email addresses. And then um, I will say we are having our first ever uh, camp in August out of Northwell Health Ice Arena. So August 15th through 17th um, for um, kids uh, under the high school age, I believe. Um, so we're still we're still putting that together, um, but it'll be a three-day camp, two on-ice sessions a day. Um, our full coaching staff will be running it with uh, some current players as well. Beautiful. I will add that to our um, girls um, event list that we have, which is our most popular page on our website. So I'll definitely oh, awesome. add it All right. Yeah. Um, and I, I've got to ask you one more really important question. Uh, do you ever get mixed up with the other Kelly Nash who works at the NHL Network? <laughs> um, every once in a while, I'm not going to lie, that has happened when they haven't actually like physically seen us. Um, I, I don't know how the number mix-ups has, ha has happened, but I've definitely gotten communication with them thinking I was the Kelly Nash at the NHL, um, which is really hilarious. Um, but I've never met her, um, but maybe one day we'll cross paths. <laughs> All right, beautiful. All right, Kelly, thank you so much for doing this. It was great to learn about your hockey history, how you kind of moved from California to Wisconsin to Europe to the East Coast. Um, and I want to wish you best of luck for uh, the recruiting season and definitely for next year. Um, and uh, hopefully we'll see you again in the NCAA tournament. Awesome. Thank you so much, Ray.
I want to thank Kelly for coming on the podcast. I really enjoyed hearing about her lengthy playing career, her move from player to coach, and how she is leading the Long Island women's program into her second year at the helm. You can learn more about the Sharks program on the team website, or you can connect with Kelly directly on her Champs app profile. Links to both are in the show notes. Thanks for listening to today's episode. Before you go, I wanted to share more about the app in Champs app. If you've listened to this podcast before, you know I spend a lot of time talking with coaches, parents, and players about the hockey recruiting process. One of the key questions that people want to know is, how does a player get noticed by college coaches? While there are many ways to be discovered, the easiest way to get on a college's radar is to send a coach an email and provide them all the information they need to assess if you are a player worth keeping their eyes on. That's where the app part of Champs app comes in. Champs app was designed based on all the conversations and feedback we've received about the recruiting process. And we've built a tool to help players and coaches connect with a ton of the information they wanna know. It all starts with creating a free, beautiful Champs app profile. After that, there's some pretty magical things that can happen to help make the recruiting process a little less overwhelming. Your Champs app profile includes all the basic academic, personal, and athletic information coaches wanna know. Then, by including video, schedule information, and your coach's contact details, colleges can easily start their evaluation process. You just copy and paste your personalized link and send it to coaches so they can see your public player profile without even having to log in or create a Champs app account. Or you can connect directly with coaches on Champs app. More and more coaches are creating their own Champs app profiles and connecting with players themselves every day. Now coaches can have all the information they need to assess where you might fit in their recruiting plans. Even better, college coaches can track your progress throughout the winter and showcase seasons, because as you make changes to your profile, coaches will get notified to your updates. And in the future, we will be adding even more amazing features to improve your visibility to the recruiting process and hopefully increase your odds of success. If you wanna see what a player or coach profile looks like before you start your own, look in the show notes to see some examples. My kids and I have used Champs app for their recruiting process. In fact, my son was invited to a AAA tryout thanks to his Champs app profile. So go to www.champs.app and start your player or coach profile. It only takes about 15 to 20 minutes to complete most of your key information. Good luck, and please let us know how it helped with your recruiting journey.